This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. In this podcast, we're going to continue our series on nutritional supplements. So far, we've concentrated on supplements used to enhance areas of physical fitness. Yet there are some supplements which are being promoted to increase thermogenesis and enhance weight loss. And that's what we're going to concentrate on today. Our guest, once again, is Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research at the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, welcome back. Thanks again for having me. Andrew, let's cut to the chase. I want a pill that I can take once a day, results in 20-pound weight loss, it allows me to eat whatever I want, and I don't have to exercise. So what's out there? <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of options for you, at least in terms of what supplement companies may kind of want you to believe. That goal and, and kind of picture that you're describing is actually quite common, where people are seeking out kind of the easiest option, I guess, in terms of a weight loss strategy, where if there's something that all it takes is to just ingest a pill every day, and they don't have to make any other changes, a lot of people are more inclined to try that first, instead of going to the gym three to four days a week, or overhauling their diet and following a new eating plan and things like that. So there's a lot of different options out there. Unfortunately, not a lot of them will live up to the claims and not a lot of them are going to lead to the results that a lot of people are actually seeking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody's looking for. And, uh, no, nothing comes that easily. So I imagine in the world of nutritional supplements, those for promoting weight loss are fairly popular. Is that correct? They are. That's a, a very popular reason for a lot of a, a reasons why a lot of people would opt to take a dietary supplement. Usually kind of a general global health benefit is the primary reason. And then weight loss kind of falls right behind that in terms of some of the top reasons that people are selecting. So very common for people to be seeking out different kind of multi-ingredient products or individual ingredients that have some purported claims to kind of boost metabolism, lose weight, burn fat, melt the fat away, all kinds of different extraneous claims that are often out there with these products. But again, when we look at the evidence for them, it generally doesn't line up with what the claims and the products are kind of promoting to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard a lot of claims on TV that, uh, uh, I can imagine people are excited about, but I just can't imagine they really uh, do what they're supposed to do. So we're back to the basics, diet and exercise. I know when I've tried to convince my patients to lose weight and they've been, some have been successful, they've pretty much had to use a combination of diet and exercise. What, what's most important, diet or exercise? And if one is more important than the other, how much more important is it? If I were to pick one out of the two, and, and the evidence kind of supports this as well, it's really diet modification that's going to be the, the number one predictor of weight loss success. We really manipulate the diet and specifically kind of moderate energy or, or calorie intake on a daily basis in order to create kind of a, a consistent caloric deficit where we're going to facilitate that weight loss over time. So unless we're addressing that, the very likely is there going to be long-term success or at least maintain success with any kind of weight loss strategy. Now, incorporating regular physical activity is certainly going to help 
create that caloric deficit on a daily basis. So exercise oftentimes can be a nice kind of synergistic approach with dietary modification to help improve weight loss success. And then also kind of leading to that long-term weight loss maintenance, which is actually kind of the bigger challenge that a lot of people face as kind of a society, we're, we're actually okay at some short-term weight loss strategies. It's maintaining that and kind of creating sustainable weight loss or helping people keep that weight off long-term that is often the bigger challenge for folks. And that's where exercise can certainly help with that long-term maintenance. And then if we even dive into the types of exercise that people are doing, it's actually strength training that can offer some more advantages in terms of body composition improvement that are oftentimes what people are actually seeking. They kind of just want to look better. Sure, they, they like to lose weight and that's definitely going to be a goal too, but just because you're losing weight doesn't always translate to that improved aesthetic appearance that some people might have where I, I've had patients that will point directly to certain regions on their body saying, I want to get rid of this or I want to look more toned here. And not that we can necessarily do a lot of spot reduction in terms of fat loss and, and body composition improvement, but regular strength training over time will help lead to meaningful increases in lean body mass. And the more of that that you have, you're going to get that improved body composition profile. And then from an aesthetic appearance, that person might look more toned or in shape or whatever kind of description we want to put to that type of physique adaptation over time. But again, it, that in particular is sometimes what people are actually most interested in is I just want to look better. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's where specific types of exercise programs, namely strength training, and then kind of combining it with a dietary plan or, or some modifications along the way really is going to kind of lead to that long-term success of what that person is, is often after. Now, I've heard the statement, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard the statement that if you try to achieve weight loss with diet, with calorie reduction alone, your body's metabolic rate will decrease and uh, you will not burn as many calories just because you're not taking as many in and exercise keeps your metabolic rate up there. Now, is there any validity to that? There is. So with weight loss, in kind of isolation, we will see a reduction in basal metabolic. Now, a lot of that is just because there's less body mass there. So that person has less weight that they're carrying around, even just through daily activity, they're going to expend less energy because they're not as big of a person. And so they don't generate again, as much energy output if we were to truly assess that. And then even beyond that, we see this adaptive thermogenic response or adaptation to weight loss, or even accounting for that weight reduction. Sometimes there's a, a larger drop in basal metabolic rate beyond what we would expect with just that weight loss alone. And it's really just the body's way of becoming more efficient, which it kind of sounds like a good thing, but from a weight loss standpoint, you'd almost want to go the opposite direction where if you were more metabolically inefficient, you would be expending more energy in that regard. So there is a bit of that adaptive thermogenic adaptation over time, and we can mitigate that a little bit with exercise. And again, specifically exercise that will be more in the range of strength training or resistance training, because again, they're you're going to better maintain lean body mass through that weight loss program. And the more you can do that, the more you're going to help preserve basal metabolic rate. Uh, sometimes where people run into problems is they do pretty aggressive weight loss programs or strategies, and they may lose weight, but they may also be losing lean body mass. And that's not the tissue type that you really want to be losing 
for a lot of purposes, long-term functionality, that, that's not ideal. But then again, getting back to that metabolic application, if you're losing a lot of lean body mass, that's going to further drive down that reduction in basal metabolic rate. So we'd want to try to avoid that and making sure that through kind of a, a combined strategy of maybe an increased daily protein intake, and then also incorporating somewhat routine or regular strength training, you're going to help preserve that lean body mass as that person progresses through their weight loss program. And in my opinion, that's kind of the best strategy to take again, when we factor in that long-term weight loss maintenance, because otherwise, if you just go through this rapid crash diet phase, if you lose a lot of lean body mass, your metabolism could go down and that's going to really make it challenging to maintain that weight loss long-term. So it's really not as simple as you want to exercise in an aerobic capacity so you can burn more calories. You need to do the aerobic as well as the resistance training. Yep. And again, the aerobic can certainly help facilitate that weight loss, but it may not do as much from kind of a body recomposition angle. And that's what strength training can offer. And I always just kind of recommend both. I think it's really a multi-pronged approach between diet modification, kind of regular, just daily activity, certainly aerobic activity fits in there, but then also making sure that, that person does incorporate regular strength training to avoid that just kind of reduction in lean body mass where it, it kind of sounds a little crass, but sometimes that person finds themselves being like a, a skinny fat type of body type where they may be of normal weight, their BMI may be okay, but they really don't have a lot of lean body mass. And again, from an aesthetic standpoint, that person might not be satisfied or happy with the type of physique change that has occurred because they've lost so much lean body mass. It's not necessarily their fault. Sometimes they're just misled into that eat less, move more type of strategy. And there's really a bit more to it. And you want to be a little bit more proactive with the specific types of diet modification that's, that's happening. And then also, again, the specific types of exercise can really kind of direct the type of body composition changes that are occurring over time. Mm -hmm. Well, achieving significant weight loss, there's no question it's difficult. And I've had a fair number of patients who've been successful at that, but I've found what's even more difficult than the weight loss is maintaining the weight loss. So it sounds like it's really important to continue these activities, the diet and the exercise after the weight loss occurs. Yeah. And that's another part where sometimes people, they get to a point where they're happy with the amount of weight that they've lost. They may have hit their goal and then they revert back to their old behaviors and then again, it's just a matter of time before that weight comes on. So sometimes it's a hard reality for people to accept that in order to maintain that lost weight, you do need to keep doing what you're doing for the rest of your life in a sense to keep that weight loss and, and to kind of maintain your new body weight. That's kind of the new you. And you have to continue with those regular physical activity habits or, or diet modifications to kind of, again, maintain that weight loss long-term. So it really is a modification of your lifestyle that has to be lifelong. Yep. And that's where I try to avoid people saying I'm going on a diet because again, then it suggests there's an end to it and a, a time point where they no longer have to be on that diet. So again, kind of reframing it where this is a new lifestyle or this is a new way of eating that you're doing and just kind of approaching it from that angle instead of suggesting there's a, a start and an end to it. Because if you do end and revert back to original behaviors, you're going to revert back to your original weights and, and body composition and so forth. So, and that's why some of these fad diets are just not successful in maintaining that weight. I mean, you can't 
continue to eat 16 grapefruits a day, sure, it'll result in weight loss, but you can't do that the rest of your life. And uh, the diet's over, weight comes right back again. Yep, exactly. And so right along the theme here with, with dietary supplements for weight loss, oftentimes you'll also hear like mm -hmm. juice cleanses or extreme diets like that, where it's definitely not sustainable, certainly not healthy long-term. Sure, it may lead to some rapid acute weight loss, but again, that's not a sustainable way to eat long-term. So it's just a matter of time before you regain that weight right back. And you're also setting yourself up for all kinds of nutritional deficiencies, hormone disruptions that can occur when you're depriving your body of, of key nutrients and energy. So it's certainly not recommended to do those things. So where do the nutritional supplements fit in with weight loss? What, what do they do? So there is some mechanistic rationale as to how they could, you know, potentially promote weight loss over time. Some of them can certainly result in some acute physiological or, or metabolic changes where, again, ingesting a certain supplement or thermogenic agent may transiently increase metabolic activity. So we could use something like indirect calorimity where we're assessing that and we can see increases of 10 to sometimes upwards 20%. In metabolic activity but the key there is again that's a transient response where as soon as that the half-life of that ingredient or dietary supplement kind of phases off that metabolic rate will kind of revert back to regular activity levels and so yeah you might be getting some acute benefits there from a metabolic standpoint but if you're not also factoring in some of the dietary modifications and other lifestyle strategies that we just mentioned that short-term increase in metabolic rates, not really going to do much in terms of long-term weight loss over time. So oftentimes that alone isn't powerful enough to overcome a lack of any other lifestyle interventions that that person may or may not be making. And so caffeine is a, is a common ingredient that we see in a lot of these thermogenic agents because they can transiently increase metabolic activity. But again, it's really only acute in nature. And where the other, sometimes where people will go wrong is they'll say, okay, if I just drink caffeine, I can boost my metabolism and that'll help me lose weight. Well, it's also in a triple latte with extra whipped cream, you know, a, a coffee shop. So sure, you might've gotten a, a 10 or 15% boost in metabolic activity, but you also just ingested 400 calories <laughs> through that dessert coffee of your choosing. And so you took one step forward, three steps back. And again, another example of why just taking a pill or ingredients, not really going to do much in the grand scheme of things. If you're not also factoring in all other components of what leads to weight loss over time. So it's very similar then to using the nutritional supplements for enhancing strength and fitness, where the basic building blocks again, are exercise and diet, and maybe a small percentage of benefit from a supplement. It sounds like the same is very true for weight loss. I would definitely agree with that. So they can kind of offer some synergistic opportunities to help facilitate and further promote weight loss, but alone or ingested on their loan, they're not likely to make much of a meaningful difference. Mm -hmm. And so again, some of these ingredients, whether it's increasing metabolic activity, some of them are more targeted towards help improving satiety issues. So they may reduce hunger sensations and some of them may help increase fat oxidation or some of those other kind of metabolic acute responses. So they may be setting the stage where that person might be more inclined or more likely to lose weight, but that alone, again, isn't going to be enough. So it has to be a combination then of 
what other types of modifications are we making, whether it's dietary or exercise, or hopefully kind of a combination of all the above. So you mentioned caffeine. What else is out there that might have some potential, even if it's small advantage? I would say in addition to caffeine, green tea, green tea extract is another common ingredient that you'll see in a lot of thermogenic types of agents or drinks that are out on the market. Ephedra was a common ingredient for long-term that's now been banned by the FDA. So that's no longer available in a lot of weight loss products. That's all of those products that had it have now been reformulated. I would say black pepper extract, um, conjugated linoleic acid, chromium. Those are kind of the, the top ingredients that come to mind that are often found in a lot of these thermogenic agents where they may have been studied in isolation and they may have found to confer some type of acute physiological or metabolic advantage. But again, in, in long-term trials, they really haven't been shown to offer really meaningful differences, certainly not in maintaining that weight loss over time. Are there any safety issues out there in terms of things that patients should be uh, wary of? With these thermogenic types of dietary supplement categories, they do seem to be a little bit more susceptible to adulteration or tainted or contaminated, whatever you want to refer to it as, where there's you know, certain banned stimulants or other ingredients that are added to these products unknowingly to the consumer. So they're certainly not on the label or they may be masked by some kind of complex chemical, other name or derivative of the original. Sometimes there are even drugs that are added to these products. And because of the way the industry is, is regulated, they may not be assessed on the front end before they're released to the market. So I would say thermogenic type products tend to be a little bit more susceptible to that adulteration process. And it's just something to be aware of to the consumer, making sure they're choosing more quality products to avoid that potential risk. And then even as a whole, weight loss and thermogenic type products tend to be a little bit more susceptible to the risk of adverse events. So people just may not tolerate some of the ingredients in there. A lot of them, again, are might be stimulatory in nature. So they may get some of those adverse uh, effects where they're feeling jittery, anxious, and a lot of it's because they've just ingested so much caffeine in a short amount of time span or other types of stimulatory agents where they just don't tolerate it very well. So that's probably the biggest concern there from a, a safety issue is just the, the higher risk of side effects or adverse events from them. And a lot of them just haven't been well studied long-term. So we're not fully aware of the long-term implications of ingesting some of these products. Okay. Well, Andrew, let's summarize now. Can you give us maybe two or three key points about our discussion on nutritional supplements for weight loss? So with weight loss supplements, I would say, again, some of them may have sound mechanistic rationale as to why they may offer you know, some slight acute physiological or metabolic advantages. But really, in order to promote and sustain long-term weight loss, the key has to be incorporating some type of dietary modification, namely reducing calorie intake. And then also certainly adding in regular physical activity is going to play a big role in helping to further promote weight loss and then also helping to maintain that weight loss over time. Well, Andrew, sometime when we get some more time together, I'm going to talk to you about my theory of uh, aerobic eating combines vigorous eating with, <laughs> with eating. And um, I'm hoping it'll help result in some calorie loss, but I don't think so. Anyway, you never know. <laughs> yeah. We've been discussing nutritional supplements used to enhance weight loss. 
with Dr. Andrew Jagum, Director of Sports Medicine Research, the Mayo Clinic. Andrew, as always, thank you so much for your time. You've taught me a lot, and I think our listeners as well. Thanks again for having me. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week. Music